and sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. But you are all children of light, and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober, for they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Let me pause there for just a moment before we jump into verse number two this morning. We'll kind of be uh, looking at verses two and three if we get through through those today. Notice verses 10 and 11 essentially is doing what the end of chapter four was doing once more. It is reiterating the gospel and is reiterating the fact that whether we are alive or dead, when Christ comes, that we have all the hope and the comfort that we ever need. There is not one advantage over another and rather that to trust completely by faith by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, in the gospel, in the, his death, his burial, his resurrection for us, that we have absolute comfort. And that in verse 11, he reminds us once more, wherefore, comfort yourselves together, edify one another, even as also you do. This has been a theme so far as we talk about the end times. And as we've said before, the end times are often either very confusing for people or very disheartening for people. And so what we're going to see throughout this passage as we continue on is that this should be a comforting thing to know that Christ is coming. This is not just a convicting thing to motivate us to evangelism and a life uh, to let our light so shine before men, but rather this is the comfort of our hearts to continue when things get tough. And as we know, according to the Scriptures, things are going to not just get tough, but they're going to get horrible, right? They're going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. We are promised to be taken out of here before the great tribulation, but not before tribulations. As a matter of fact, we see all the time tribulations. How do we know this, right? Because we see people who have their houses burn up. We have death. We have cancer. We have sickness. Clearly, there are tribulations, lowercase, all the time. Every day you wake up. Matter of fact, you can think about it this way. Even the simplest thing, if you've got to take a Tylenol, right? It might not be a big tribulation, but it's a 500 milligram tribulation, right? It'll get rid of it, right? But we think the great tribulation is much, much more. This is the day not merely that some bad things happen in life, but that will be the day, the seven-year day, that Christ will judge the earth and all the rebellious inhabitants of it. Now, as we pick up here in verse number two, he says, For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Now, we had talked a little bit about this as we look at the first portion of this verse. He says, you know perfectly, completely is the idea. You know confidently. You can rest assured that you know these things already. He says, you know this already, that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Now, I remember being a kid, and I thought the scariest thing in the world was a thief, right? Wasn't afraid of hurricanes, tornadoes. We didn't get those. I thought the scariest thing in the world was a thief because you're not ready for it, right? You get a warning about a tornado even. It might not be quite as fast or, or have many days in advance as you would for, for a hurricane, but for a hurricane, you're getting days, maybe even weeks in advance of potential landing, right? But a thief, there is no warning. There's no letter in the mail like, hey, I'm going to come by tonight about between two and three. None of that. Anybody ever been robbed before, right? A couple of you, right? Did you get a notice about it, right? 
It's not like what Carroll County does here where they send you out going, hey, don't forget in June and December, here's what you owe for taxes. Here's your warning. None of that. When a thief comes, he comes. Violently at times. Jolting you awake from your sleep, your slumber, right? I I mean, you you try to be prepared. I remember as a kid, you know, we first moved back to Virginia. I was maybe five, six years old. Uh, We lived in some apartments. They weren't good apartments, but that's what mom and dad could afford. We lived, I didn't know any different except for the fact, hey, we had a place to live. We got a dining room table. There's food. Okay, we're good. But I knew that it was different because there, every night, we not only locked the doors on the door, but then, you know, we've got the, y'all remember those things where you take it and you pry it up underneath the door handle? Some of y'all remember those? We had, we had one that was just a white one. It looked like a, oh, it looked like the leg to like a, um, an ironing board. Right? I mean, I'm going, I don't know what this is going to do, but there you go. Mom. All right, so we're protected out the back door. Then we had the, the nicer one for the front, and you stick it underneath, and it had the little, little uh, switch where you pull it down that really locked it in place. I'm thinking, you know, two foot to the right is a window, but, you know, hey, well, I know, I'm a kid. We're safe now. But I remember thinking that a thief was just so frightening. Now, as we think about this, Morris writes, the comparison of the coming as of a thief indicates its total unexpectedness. And this is heightened within the night. Only here in the New Testament do we have reference to thief in the night. It is inevitable, but unpredictable. Meaning this, Paul is saying here to them in this verse, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord is who cometh as a thief in the night. He says, you know it is impending, it is inevitable, it is on its way, you just don't know when. He says you don't have to know the date or the time or the details. He says, so when it comes, it's going to come like a thief. It will give you no warning. Now, this is why we've got to be careful. Because the, the hottest books besides the self-help Christian books that are out there and, and all sorts of other things, that, poor theology and, and a world of issues, right? We were just in Barnes & Noble yesterday, and you just sort of shake your head at the state of the, the religious or Christian section. But nevertheless, you look and I, I see that the hot stuff that sells is the stuff that says, title like this, end of the world, question mark, right? Or the moon changed a color, (laughs) all sorts of stuff. Why? Because it brings about fear. And what these folks are trying to do is to tell you, well, if we look at these signs and we look at this, then it's bound to happen between this date and this date. We don't know the dates. Now, as Jesus talked about to the Pharisees that they ought to be able to discern the times and the seasons of the coming of the Son of Man, and we as well should be able to do the same as we look at the world around us, yet we're not looking for a a date or an hour. Matter of fact, it's better that we don't know, right? The idea of this thief, Green writes, the day of the Lord will come suddenly at an unexpected moment, that is, like a thief in the night. This assertion finds its root in the teaching of Jesus about His coming in Matthew 24, Luke 12, and was then incorporated into the instruction given to the church at the end of 2 Peter, Revelation. And the apostle never argued that there would be no signs before the end. He only wanted to say that it was impossible to set the time of the event. So it's not that we can't look around and discern that the day is approaching. We know that day is approaching. Matter of fact, we talked, I think it was a couple weeks ago, about some some biblical things that we can clearly tell that we are in the end times, much of which was the fact that Israel uh, is now a nation, has been now for 70 couple years, I think 75 years is what it has been now, um, the fact that Israel has been reestablished, 
They are now a, a powerhouse. We find that the continual uh, falling away spiritually, we find the unification of the global mentality of uh, merging politics and religion and spiritism, all just blending things all together, right? So we see that there's a lot of things that are showing us that we are in that time, yet we still don't know the date. We know that we are in the last day, but we don't know the hour on the clock, if you will, right? Now, with this, the day of the Lord will come expectedly, unexpectedly, excuse me, and the world will be unprepared for that day. Now, when we think about this, even when I was a little kid, I thought we were prepared, right? You know, we got all the stuff. You can prepare as much as you want for the unexpected, but still the unexpected happens, doesn't it? Right? This is why we all have insurance. This is why we all, you know, you, you wear a seat belt, you lock your doors or, or what, what have you, right? You, you prepare for the unexpected, but yet the unexpected still happens. And it's funny how the unexpected always happens unexpectedly, even when you're expecting it. You can be as prepared as a Boy Scout on a camping trip and still not be ready. Why? Because things come out of nowhere. And for the world around us, notice this. It's not so much us that are going to be so surprised, but more so it's the world. We're going up. I'm out of here. Right? But it's the world that's going to be awfully surprised. Why? Well, we find in the days of Noah, as Jesus talks about, they were eating and drinking and giving in marriage, right? They were just having a good old time. They had nothing to say, right? Uh, Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 3, talks about this. They go, well, since the beginning it's been this way. The end isn't coming. It's all a bunch of rubbish. Uh, the, the Lord's not coming back. It, it was just a figure of speech or a metaphor. It's going to surprise a lot, a lot of people. right? Now, a thief in the night surprises the victim. Butler writes, Christ will return to earth when He is unexpected. People will be so in the dark spiritually that they will be surprised by the coming of Christ. Furthermore, a thief means something stolen that is a loss for the victim. This does not mean Christ will steal, but rather it means the sinner will experience a great loss at the coming of Christ. Now, this is the frightening thing for those who will be left here. They will be facing, as Revelation talks about, the wrath of the Lamb. Matter of fact, you find the Lamb countless times in the book of Revelation because it shows that the, the Lamb is the one who is inflicting the wrath. He's not sending out the Antichrist to do all this work. He's not even sending the devil to do all this work. The wrath comes from the Lamb Himself. As a matter of fact, it says in Revelation that the people flee and they say to themselves that they're fleeing from the wrath of the Lamb. They know where this is coming from only then, but guess what? It's far too late by then. Now with this, like a thief coming in the night, He comes for a purpose. Now, Jesus coming, He's not coming to merely, if you will, steal us out of here and inflict as much judgment and wrath upon the people, but the idea is that they are going to be at a great loss. Notice this. Could you imagine what the world would be like if Christians lived as Christians are supposed to? Well, that'd be great, wouldn't it? Now, can you imagine this, though? Imagine if every Christian was taken out of their community, church, workplace, family, and the world itself. Would it be better or worse? Worse. So we know that we could do a lot better, right? And we can beat ourselves up about that all day long. Nevertheless, we must understand that the Lord has us here to be what? Salt and light. As long as we're here, there is still light. 
As long as we are here, there's still light in the darkness. As long as we are here, there is still salt. What does salt do? Salt stings the wound. It cleanses the wound. It also preserves. And what we find is that when we are gone, it's going to be rough. Essentially, the tribulation itself is going to be God letting them loose to go and do as they please, sin and the consequence, but as well, it will be the Lord loosening Himself upon the people. Now, that's a frightening thought when we think about the day of the Lord when it's coming. Nevertheless, for you and I, we should not be surprised. We know what it's coming. We know what, what lies ahead. We just don't know the date. Therefore, we should live as if it is today. Every day should be lived as if eternity is a moment away because it truthfully is. We don't know the date of our death. We don't know the date of the coming of the Lord. Therefore, it should be the comforting fact uh, of our life and as well as the driving force of our life. It will be a terrible loss for the world. Verse number 3, we see the, the coming of Christ as the day of the Lord is as sure, certain, and inevitable as the travail upon a pregnant woman. Verse number 3, For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Now, let's go ahead and preface this. Any of us in here today that are men, we don't know what that is like. Not all the way. Now, you might have been married to your wife as she is getting ready to have your child, and so you were part of that day. You, you remember that. However, you weren't quite the one experiencing the birth pains, were you? Unless she was elbow, right? I don't know. We think about this just as sure as this woman is coming to full term, you know what comes next when full term hits, right? The baby's coming. Now that's the exciting part, right? Everyone wants to see the baby, but yet there's some pain that must be gone through. Matter of fact, uh, the Lord talked about this even in, in Genesis and the fall, all these things, right? So we find that this is how it has been. But the unexpected nature of that day will be a tragedy for the unbeliever. They will be lulled to sleep by political and economic conditions, but then they will be rudely awakened. It's the idea of this. He says, when they shall say peace and safety. Notice this before we get into the woman with child. Peace and safety. This is what the world is saying. Now this is why we understand this, that the judgment and the wrath that's coming in the day of tribulation is coming after the establishment of a peace treaty with Israel. That's what's kicking things off with the tribulation. Things are going to look peaceful. Things are going to look like world peace was finally accomplished, right? That's what everybody wants. That's what scientists want. It's what Christians want. It's what everybody wants it, right? It doesn't matter who you are. You want world peace. However, different folks want world peace in a different way. Now, this will be a false world peace, and it will be a worldwide it will be especially, I believe, in relation to Israel. I believe, looking at the Scripture, that there's going to be a great battle that's going to take place before this happens where folks will come against Israel and the Lord will have not such. <laughs> he will not have Israel to be conquered and Israel will win that fight and then they will uh, bring in this peace treaty. Why would they need a peace treaty with Israel if Israel didn't just whoop them, right? It's like, you ever, you ever got in a fist fight? I know that sounds strange, but if you, if you lose the fist fight, 
Normally, you make your apologies. You wipe, wipe the blood off your lip and you keep going. But if you won the fist fight, normally that person that you just had to whoop, normally they want to be your friend. Anybody ever had that happen? Unless all y'all, lo- I don't know if you lost your fist fights or not. <laughs> but normally the one that loses, they want to come and they want to be best friends now. I believe that's what's taking place in the tribulation. They're going to want to go, hey, they just whooped us. We're going to be their friends now. We want to make peace here. Now, nevertheless, with this, we've got to see that the world itself is heading toward this grand delusion of believing that they're going to have world peace for the real first time. Because they'll have a unification of all sorts of things, economically, politically, spiritually. We're all one. Now, when we say that, that sounds nice, doesn't it? It sounds good on the surface. But you dig a little bit deeper to what that really means. It means that we're one people against the one God. In order to unite the world, what's going to happen is without Christ being on the earth, Christ will bring unity in the sense that He will rule and reign. There will be no uprising, right? But here on that false earth, it will be a, that false peace, a, a false unity, but they will be lulled to sleep. They're going to believe that everything is good. Now, much like the thief or the travail of a woman, you think well, everything's normal, everything's hunky-dory, everything's fine, then all of a sudden comes out of nowhere, right? The door gets kicked in, the water breaks, whatever it might be, right? It's a suddenness, an unexpectedness, and they will be moved, I believe, with great horror on that day. One commentator writes, there will be an air of confidence and security in the world, then God's judgment will suddenly begin to descend with vast destructive force. Destructive Destruction does not mean loss of being or annihilation. It means loss of well-being or ruin as far as the purpose of one's existence is concerned. Now, they're going to be lulled to sleep. Now, this is happening today in preparation for that day. This is happening even inside the church today where many are being lulled to sleep thinking all is well. Now, when you're sleeping good, right, you think, All is well. If you don't think all is well, you're probably not going to sleep well, are you? Toss and you'll turn, you'll move around, you'll be awake, up, down, all this. Here the idea is that the world itself is being wrought to sleep. Everything's fine, right? Everything is not fine. And the church is being wrought to sleep by the world and by our own flesh. and Everything's fine. Don't worry about that. The day where every person alive will stand before the Lord, that day is approaching rapidly. Everything won't be fine on that day for people. As a matter of fact, for some folks, it will be not only the worst day, but it will be the beginning of the worst day forever and forever and forever. This is the importance of getting the gospel out there. This is the importance of living in a day like today. You ever thought that God has entrusted us with this day? God has entrusted us to live in these days. Many of us would love to go back a good 50, 100, 150 maybe, years. And we'd just like to keep maybe some of the conveniences of indoor plumbing and and light bulbs. But but we like the simpler time. We like the old. Because we don't want to live in this day of chaos that we live in. Yet what we find is that no matter what generation you lived in, every generation thought this was the last one. Everyone thought it couldn't get any worse than this. If you could go and, and you can read, you can read some of these pastors and preachers of the, the late 17 and 1800s, and they all believed that things could not get any worse. And yet here we are, 2023, and they've gotten worse. 
And 10 years ago, we didn't think they could get worse from then, but they did, quickly. So they find that things are going to get much worse, and yet all the while what is strange is that fewer and fewer people seem to see it. We're either looking through the glass of Fox News or CNN News, or we're looking through the lens of our own interpretation of what we think or feel about the Bible, or whoever our favorite author or theologian is, and we're just sort of trying to make all this make sense. But even more so, what we're trying to do so many times is just to make ourselves feel comfortable. Now, our comfort does not come from this world, but the comfort comes from the fact that Christ is going to come and He's going to disrupt this world. He's going to shake it to its very core and He's going to make it new one day. That's our comfort. Our comfort is not that things will somehow get better, but rather that one day, after this day, Christ will make it better forever and forever. We've got to be careful. We're not called to be asleep as the church. Matter of fact, over and over again, we'll see it even in this passage that we're not children of the night. We're not of those who are asleep. Those who are asleep, we think about this. If there was a, a man who's in a guard tower, a soldier in a guard tower, and he falls asleep, it's going to be a whole lot more of a shock when the enemy comes to him, isn't it? But if he's alert and awake, and this is the idea of what the Christian is to be like, to be awake, to be alert, to be ready. Why? Because if you go back to verse 2, we know perfectly that the day of the Lord, so come with us a thief in the night, that we should not be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. We should not be ignorant of these things, but we should see these things coming. Now, the world will be lulled to sleep by the Antichrist and will believe that He has brought about peace and safety. This is why they're going to cry out, verse 3, peace and safety. But not so. Rather, what has happened is that their destruction and destination have been locked in. Final answer. Christ will not bring them peace and safety, but swift and just judgment. One of the most interesting verses that you find in the Gospels is where Jesus says, I didn't come to bring peace. He says, I came to bring a sword. And he divides households from one another. And that the Word of God is a double-edged sword, a two-edged sword that, that cuts and divides. We find here that the Lord will come and will bring about justice and on the backside of justice will be peace. This is why when we look at the cross, this is why when we look at what Jesus did for us on the cross, what we find is the greatest, most poured out times of judgment in human history. But on the backside of it, what do we find? Peace with God. We're reconciled now by the blood of His cross. Now on the front of the cross, if you will, we see God's wrath being poured out, sin being paid for, Jesus' agony. But for us who partake in trusting Christ's work, we have peace. And now that's what we know. Now we know and have peace with God. Not just moment by moment, but forever and forever. We've got to be careful today to not get lulled to sleep. As first John talked about, there's a spirit of Antichrist, even in John's day. Right? That was the first century. Do you think a spirit of Antichrist is still here today? Yes. Well what is it? 
Is it the Antichrist or is it spirit of Antichrist? Which means this, false teaching, false teaching, false preaching, false belief. It is uh, false uh, political things. What we see in our world that we think is the real world, I can almost promise you it's really not that real. There's stuff behind the curtain manipulating everything that we see in front of us, making us feel that we're okay. Meanwhile, we've been lulled to sleep. Lulled to think, oh, well, you know, the, the world is just working. Things are going okay. Notice this. You know when everyone thought that the pandemic was good, that things were going to be fine? When you could go into the store and there was stuff on the shelves. Again, y'all remember that? Those first few weeks, everything kind of was, was kind of hard to find some stuff. At least it wasn't in Danville. And then when things kind of came back, things were good. And the cheap gas, we're like, okay, this is good. Okay, all right. So we're better now. And then here's, here's what happened. How about this past year, within the past six, eight months? At one point, in some places, you're paying six, eight, ten, twelve dollars for a dozen, dozen and a half eggs. We're going, this is this is crazy. This, something's not right. This isn't good. But we felt better when we were paying now back down to that $3.92 for a dozen and a half, right? We're going, okay, well, things are good now, right? Let me ask you, are things good? No, I don't think so either. Will I enjoy the egg prices? Yes. But are things good because eggs are cheaper? No. Here's the thing. When we think about spiritually, we often think in such a fleshly way and we think in such a, a worldly and a surface level way. The Lord looks at the heart. The Lord is thinking of the spiritual things and we, having a new nature within us, should be thinking about the spiritual things and be seeing things aren't getting better, but rather, on the surface, the world around us is going, peace, safety. But what you and I know is that travail is coming. We're being lulled to sleep to bring in that great and that terrible day. It says, when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child. But notice that last part of the verse. And they shall not escape. There will not be an escape. There will not be a get out of jail free card once you get there. For those that have heard the gospel the day that this comes, it will be over. And this is frightening, but it should be motivating to us. It should be motivating our hearts to care for the lost like the Lord does. We've been talking about in Genesis, as we're going through the flood, about how God was gracious and gave 120 plus years of preaching and, and, and allowing people to hear Noah's word to come on the boat, repent and believe. The judgment's coming. The rain's coming. Well, we've had more than 120 years. We've had about 2,000 actually. And unfortunately, there is a tremendous amount of wonderful church history, but also a whole lot of church history of absolute failures, divisiveness, waywardness, spiritually, doctrinally. And what we've begun doing for generations now is seeking how we can somehow have Christ and the comfort of the world. But Jesus makes it very clear, if you're going to follow me, you won't be comfortable here. As a matter of fact, the world won't want you here. 
That day is rapidly approaching more and more, and we find that it's starting to happen more and more in our day-to-day life where it's no longer a Christian being in majority or being the normal, but rather they're the ones who are viewed as the ones who are ruining and betraying our country's ideals. We think about this day coming, this day of the Lord. Yes, it might be unexpected. Yes, we don't know when. But yet at the same time, we know it's coming. The world, though, does not. They are asleep, rocking silently, thinking all is well, peace and safety. When we cry out the gospel to the world, it must be just that. You ever had that emergency in the home and you got to wake somebody up for it? Right? That's a frightening thing. Get up! Hurry! We're living in a world that is asleep and that needs to be woken up. We're living in a world that does not need us to We just need to be kind and love them to Jesus. Yes, we must be kind. And yes, we must love them. But it does not mean that we don't wake them up. Because it will be a much ruder awakening if they wake up and we're gone and the travail comes. The day of the Lord is upon them and there's nothing that they can do. It's much more kind and loving of us to wake them up now than to allow them to slumber in their sin. It is much more loving and kind to even wake them up with all of our gusto, all of our might, to shake the world around us. Christ is coming. It's much better for that than for them to be awakened to a world that will be judged with them in it and themselves judged for never trusting Christ. You say, well, we can't make people believe. No, we can't. But that does not give us a license or a reason to not cry aloud. Think of, as we're coming into sort of Memorial Day, 4th of July, eventually Veterans, all all these holidays, we often think and we reflect back on our country. And I think about one of my favorites growing up. I loved history and talking about Paul Revere, right? They used to read, the the librarian would have us come in in our classrooms, and and she'd always read the midnight ride of Paul Revere. Now, what time did he ride? I don't know. I don't know if he actually were at midnight or not. I don't know if it was quarter till. But that's what they called it, the midnight ride of Paul Revere. And what did he go do? And by the way, it wasn't just him. It was several others going in throughout uh, the, the countryside. There were many riders, but he's the famous one. Nevertheless, what were they doing? Riding around, alerting and awaking the people to rise them up to action because danger was there, right? You and I are living in a midnight sort of world. And the clock, I believe, is getting ready to tick midnight. And it's time that you and I be some spiritual Paul Revere's, if you will. We need to saddle up we need to know our Bible. We need to be prayed up. And we need to giddy up out in the world. And we need to proclaim that Christ is coming. We need to alert the world lest they stay in their slumber. 
but will never ride into the slumbering world if we ourselves are sleeping. This passage should wake us up. And it should rouse us up to go and to do the same for others. Let's pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You for this day, for this time. God, we're grateful that we can trust Your Word, that we can look to Your Word for all things. We pray, God, that we would be obedient to You today. Lord, that as we worship You, we would do so in spirit and in truth. Lord, that we would have all distractions gone from our minds and our hearts. Lord, that we would come today purely and cleansed before You and have our hearts prepared to be offered to You now. Lord, I pray that You would help us to receive Your Word uh, rightly and faithfully. And God, that You would do a work in us and through us today. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.